0: Thank you, Logan. You almost had me there when you said the word of Josh, and then you stopped. And I was like, um, it's definitely not my word that I, hopefully I'm going to be speaking up here today. Um, we're going to go ahead and continue in First Thessalonians, that I started chapter 4 this morning. For those of you who weren't here, uh, it was a little bit heavy this morning. Um, but we we carry on and continue forward in chapter four. When I was, I think uh, the ages of two, three, and four, my parents worked full time, both of them. And so I was babysat uh, by a nice uh, old Korean grandma. <clears throat> and she was just kind of a, the neighborhood grandma who would just help out. and so, she would come over to our house, and she would babysit my brother and I, and uh, she, there was an excitement when she, when she was coming, you know, because uh, she was the one who took us to McDonald's, and that was like the greatest thing for us. She would take us to McDonald's, we get it to, we get to play in the play place, um, and then she just, you know, every day was a new adventure with her. It was It's like the Korean version of Mary Poppins, sort of, you know, just like, you know, you just never know with her, but it was always fun. And it really was a good time with her. Uh, And I remember when I was going to be going to kindergarten, I was sad to see her go. But I remember that one of her parting gifts was she bought my brother and I our first uh, bicycle. And there was a bicycle training wheels on them. And so, uh, I mean, it's exciting. We, We had these bicycles and... You know, this, this is the type of person that she was. She just kind of brought stuff to us and she gave us gifts all the time. And so there's always this great anticipation for her coming like, oh, this is exciting. What, is, what, what, what today? What's, what's on the docket today? What are we going to do that's fun today? And I think that that's the sort of mindset that Paul had kind of passed on to this assembly in, in Thessalonica, that he'd explain the gospel to them. And he explained the imminent, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these guys are, are ready. They're, they're excited. They don't know what exactly is going to happen, but they're excited that the Lord is going to come very soon. And that's how they're living their life. So if we could go and break into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to try to cover 9 through 18. The rest of the chapter. Before I, I start reading, I'll ask the Lord for his wisdom. Heavenly Father, this evening... As we break into your word, we ask that you would give us understanding. Give us wisdom as we comprehend your word, as we look into your word. Uh, This is not my word. This is not something I came up with. This is not something that I could ever uh, imagine. But this is is your word that you have given to us. And so as it is your word, help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in chapter chapter 4, verse 9 of First Thessalonians, it says this, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, And attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So here we, we have, I, I want to say, the lighter side, uh, the more uplifting side, if you will. Um, it's kind of a pun for uh, the, the idea of this, uh, this passage that we're going to be going over. I know it's not funny, um, but I just have to tell it. Um, first, first, John tells us God is love. And God is teaching the Thessalonians to love one another. It, that's what it says here. And, we're, and we're a, they were able to extend that love not only to those in, in that city, but it says to Macedonia. That's a, like the province, the whole surrounding region around Thessalonica. And it includes Thessalonica. And I just wanted to read 1 John chapter 4 because I just love what it says about God. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read. I'm going to read verse 7 through 12. If you'll read with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent us, his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Because God is love, because that's his character, when we trust Christ, we have access to that same character, and we're able to understand the idea of love much, much better, much greater. Because when you look at the cross of Christ, when you look at his sacrifice, we're able to understand this is love. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died for us on the cross when we were his enemies. We didn't deserve it. And yet, he showed us that same love on the cross. God is love. I don't know what kind of circumstances that were going on in Thessalonica, but they were being taught to love one another. And remember that this is a young assembly. They haven't been around for very long. And yet, there are they're demonstrating, they're displaying this love to the surrounding regions, not only in Thessalonica. And I was thinking about just how... Love is brought, love brings people together. Care for someone brings people together. And I was thinking about when we were in Yosemite, as we were unable to uh, be at the hospital, and to, uh, when we, heard a, we, we knew that Max needed the heart surgery, and in Yosemite, we had all these people come together praying for Max for his open-heart surgery. Most of these people had never met Max, they, they, didn't even, they didn't know he existed until we shared with them the need. And then we came together, we started praying for him, and there was this great unity. There was this great bond, and there, were, there was people who were in tears that didn't even know him. Because that's what, that's what love does. And this is what was being displayed to the people around Thessalonica and around Macedonia. Again, this is a young assembly with young believers, baby believers who are maturing. And it seemed like they were maturing fairly quickly, maybe because of the oppression, because of the persecution that was around. Um, But it seemed like they were really maturing. And it was obviously a a true work of God being demonstrated through the Holy Spirit in their lives. This is is very, I mean, if it wasn't the Holy Spirit working through them, there's no way. That these people could have been displaying the love of God to, I mean, I don't know how many miles, you know, Macedonia is. But they're, they're really, the, the reach of God's love and the demonstration of it is really being displayed, I want to say, quite far. Uh, we see here that it says, once again, as we read in the, the first few verses of chapter 4, that it tells us in 1 Thessalonians, to excel still more. And again, I just want to, the, the definition for that is to superabound. You know, when uh, someone is going, wanting to go into the, the Olympics, most people aren't just happy just to get there. They want to win the gold medal. That's the ultimate goal. And that's, that's our desire, is that we want to try and strive for and achieve the ultimate goal for the Lord. And so we want to excel still more. I was thinking about it, what would it be like if the people here at Claremont, the believers here at Claremont, showed God's love to as many people as possible in this city? What would it be like? What would it be like if we were able to show our love to the surrounding cities around here? Maybe Laverne, Montclair, Upland, Rancho Cucamonga, Pomona. What if? What would it be like if, if Christians... We, as people who have trusted Christ, demonstrated that love to people, the people around. Well, what, would it, what kind of influence would that have? What kind of encouragement would that make on the people around? Verse 11 says this. And to make it your ambition, it seems like it kind of uh, switches uh, gears a little bit. And he says, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business, and work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, verse 12, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Romans 13, 13 13-14 says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision, make no room for the flesh in regard to its lust. And Ephesians 4:28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has a need. I was trying to understand, you know, what verse 11 and 12 is. is what? Well, what is the Apostle Paul trying to tell these people here in Thessalonica? It seems like, from the context that the people the, the people in Thessalonica were a working class people. There were people who labored and they maintained their testimony by doing their job. And Paul encourages, encourages them to continue to do that. That's what it seems like to me. And some people might have thought that since the Lord is coming sometime soon, that's the encouragement that they received. Uh, that's the exhortation that they must have gotten in the beginning when the gospel was preached. And so some of them might have thought, Oh, Jesus is coming soon, so I'm just I'm not going to really work that hard anymore. You know, cuz Jesus is coming, you know? So why do I have to work hard? And so this is Paul says to continue working, to continue working with your hands, to do your business just as they commanded so that they they would not be a te- bad testimony to people outside. That so that they would not be a bad testimony to the world. Just imagine, you know, if if all of us in here who have jobs were in the workplace, and we were the laziest workers at work. I see these, at work, I see some of these lazy people. Uh, there was, when I was working at uh, the Alhambra post office, there was one lady who she would, she was, she would do a, an easy job of passing out some of the letters, and then she would pull them back, and she would do it again, and she would pull them back and do it again. It's like you'd see her doing this, and you're thinking, like, "We we can see her just sitting there doing basically nothing. She's doing the same thing over and over again. She should have moved on and started helping us do some of the manual labor, but she decides she's just gonna work with the letters a little bit longer. And this is this is what ha- I mean. I'm sure you've seen that. You've seen the the lazy workers um, at, at work. Hopefully, you're not that lazy worker, right? But you know, This is an encouragement that we're supposed to work hard, we're, we're supposed to do the business. This is an encouragement from Paul and that that would lead to a good testimony on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11-12 basically reiterates these two verses. So it seems like right, right here he's telling them, I'm commanding you not to do this but maybe some of the people actually started doing this. And so in 2 Thessalonians 3, 11-12, he actually says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So you're, you're completely lazy. You're not doing anything, but you're acting like you're busy. So kind of like I explained about that lady working at the office, pretending like she was doing work, but she's just doing the same thing over and over again so that she can shirk other responsibilities. I want to say that those in this assembly are actually living these verses out. That those in this assembly were were working hard and I think many of of those here are maintaining a good testimony at work. But as the verse says, as verse 10 says, as verse 1 says, let's excel still more. Let's excel. Be a better testimony. Let's show people more of what Christ is like. Let's show people how much Christ loves us. How much God loves us. Verse 13, it goes on. We're going to move into our our future. This is going to be our future. For those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. It seems to me that Paul, obviously, as he preached the gospel, and as I've mentioned a couple times, he explained that Jesus is going to be coming back. But it seemed like they misunderstood what would happen with those that passed away, those that had died, those that... As it says in verse fourteen, fallen asleep, and so there's this confusion, and Paul clears it up, and he explains to them that in detail. If you read this, it's it's a very detailed, and you don't really see this kind of detail anywhere else, which is nice because you know uh, it is nice to know what's what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus comes, right? And so the heathens who have no hope, how they would show their grief. It was it was a They would show their grief very excessively. by They would shave their heads. They would cut their flesh. They would make loud howling noises. And they would would just be crying out. And this is the way that they would show their grief. They would even hire people to, to cry and to howl with them to show their grief. Paul is stating here and encouraging the believers that if you've heard the gospel, and you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior the the example i thought of in my head is it's like you just got a new passport people come to the post office and they apply for a new passport that's what it's it's like you got a new passport and now that you got this new passport you can go to a new country and the Lord Jesus Christ his death on a cross when you received it you become adopted into his family you get this passport where now you can go to heaven and you can live eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can you can worship we will be worshiping Him for all eternity. Worshiping the one who died for all of us. And it's interesting because I think about death and those that I love that have passed away. About a month ago, my, my dad's mom passed away, my grandma. And About 10 years ago, I mean, for a long period of time, my parents were sharing the gospel with her, sharing the gospel with my family members. And when when she passed away, I even asked the, the, the saints here to pray for my dad's side of the family because many of them are unsaved. Many of them don't know the Lord. If they passed away right now, I would never see them again. And... The thing about my grandma passing away is that about 10 years ago, she trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. All her life, she was a Catholic. She was a practicing Catholic. Her and my grandpa, and they were the practicing Catholic. And 10 years ago, she trusted Christ. And knowing our family, knowing that she's a believer, knowing that she's saved, gave us great hope. And when she passed away, and when my mom's parents passed away a couple years ago, And when Rachel's grandparents passed away, there was a hope where I honestly didn't really shed any tears, because I knew that they were in so much pain. They were hurting. They were ailing on this earth, but no more. And they were. They were. They had trust. I knew they, from my understanding, they professed to trust Christ, and so I knew where they were. So I didn't have to worry. And to be honest, uh, there's only really for a believer, when another believer goes on, there's more sorrow for us because we're stuck here rather than those that have gone on before us. Unlike, and that's unlike, uh, I have a cousin Jimmy who passed away. And he was a cousin who, believe it or not, in Idaho of all places got caught up in gangs and drugs he was in prison he, he went to he was locked up in prison for a while. I was able to my aunt had asked me to correspond with him, so I started writing letters back and forth with him. I shared the gospel with him in these letters. And I would ask him what he thought about God, what he thought about Jesus. And we'd have we'd go back and forth, and our our letters would start getting longer and longer, two, three, four pages, discussing different things. And he had a small understanding of God and the the Bible and Jesus. But he didn't understand that all he had to do was accept that gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him. And so he got out of prison and he got actually a, a, a very good job when he got out. And it seemed like he was doing really well and I would talk to him on the phone every once in a while and I would share the gospel with him on the phone. And last year, uh, they found him lying in his bed, cold. He was, at, he was at, back at his parents' home, and he had overdosed overdose on drugs, and he must have gotten a bad batch or something. And I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. I share the gospel with him. I talk to him about the Lord, but I don't know if he ever made that decision to trust Christ. And this is the difference, is that when a believer passes away, there is hope. You can understand that there's a great joy in the fact that they're with the Lord now. But my cousin Jimmy, I don't know. I don't. The the Apostle Paul is encouraging the believers at Thessalonica that you have a hope because those that have passed on before you, Those believers, you're going to see them one day. So you have a hope. You can take comfort. You can have peace. Verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. This is the promise from God that is repeated all throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Jesus' death uh, wasn't a, a soft, peaceful death. It was far from that. He was, his death was so gruesome. His death was so painful. I mean, we read about it in Scripture, and yet we don't fully comprehend it. We talk about it. We come together on Sunday morning, for communion, remembering the 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 life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially the death. It it refers to Jesus as he Jesus died, but to those others, it says they are fallen asleep in Jesus. It's almost like they they're resting on Jesus in their sleep as believers. Uh, it's kind of a nice way to put it. It's, that's not really, uh, you know, how it is. You know, they're, they're with the Lord. But Jesus' death was no simple death. He was crowned with thorns. He was whipped. He was punched. His beard was plucked. He was mocked. He was nailed to a sinner's cross. He was abandoned by his father as he bore the judgment for my sin for our sins and he rose again all so that we could be the ones or there could be ones who are fallen asleep in Jesus who God will bring back we definitely don't deserve it but God is God is merciful God is gracious God will bring with him that that term bring is the idea to lead with oneself, attached to oneself as an attendant. The idea is like a hotel attendant, whether it's the bellboy or the person who cleans the room. Jesus carried all our baggage of sins away at the cross. And he has cleaned up our mess of sin completely. He's our attendant. And He will. God will bring with him. That's, that's what... That's what he does. He leads us. He's going to lead us. And as was mentioned, falling asleep, it's the idea that those who have passed away, those who have died from this life, relieved of its responsibilities. And this is an encouragement Encouragement that we can take, that there is, as he says, a hope in Jesus. Verse 15 through 17 for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul explains to the Thessalonians that all those who have passed away will not be absent forever. But one day there will be, there will be a great reunion. There will be a great coming together. Not, not so much that it's about seeing people that have passed away that we love. But it's about focusing on the one Who died on the cross for us. Even in the coming of the Lord, there is an order. Those who lived first died, or excuse me, those who lived first and died get to go up first. And I I mean, I I guess that's fair, right? (laughs) Because you know, they they were they were here first and they died. Not that I have a choice, you know, I can't change anything like that. I can't change. This decision is clear in the Word of God, what it says, um, and they get to go first. And it says that there will be a shout. The Greek word for shout is the same word used for a ship's master commanding those that are rowing, or a commander telling his soldiers what to do. That's this shout. I, and I don't know what this shout's going to sound like. I mean, and It's going to proceed by. by uh, just <laughs> uh, the uh, the voice. There's gonna be a voice, and then there's gonna be a trumpet. Those three things: a shout, a voice, voice of an archangel, and then a trumpet sound. I don't know. I don't know what that's gonna sound like. But I, but I imagine it's gonna be a great sound. I imagine, you know, that when the Lord comes, this is gonna be no uh, no simple event. The I want to say that when I was singing about it, it kind of led me back to the the Paul's conversion. When he saw the light and he heard the voice from heaven and he was, he fell, he was blinded and the people around him were standing, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anything. And that might be what everyone else might experience, is that for us, we hear the shout, we see well, we hear the shout, we hear the, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sounding and the dead in Christ rising, rising first, and then we get to uh, rise after that. I, I imagine that there's going to be a commotion that people hear, but they won't understand what's going on. And I have to say, uh, I don't enjoy heights. Uh, so when, as we go up, it's supposed to be a, a quick snatching. It's supposed to be the idea of being caught up, is this, it doesn't come from, it's not in the Greek text, it comes from the Latin Vulgate, which means it's a sudden swoop, a force that cannot be resisted. Uh, it's a, a, This is a, a violent thing that we just get snatched up, so I'm glad it's like that. Because uh, as I said, I'm kind of afraid of heights. And I don't, I don't think this is going to be a silent, secret event. I think that people will know something has happened. And they for sure, people will be missing. And so, this is, this is what Paul, he explained, he's explaining all these things, this revelation that, like, it, nobody, they, these people have never heard. They don't, they didn't understand this. These are new believers, and they're getting this whole new revelation of, you have a hope. You know, the the, the people that have passed on before you, don't worry, you'll see them again. And what's going to happen? Jesus, he's going to come back, and you're going to be caught up in the, the air with him. And this is, this is. This is the expectation that you can have. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. In other words, continue to dwell on what I've said to you. Continue to dwell on what I've explained, which will bring comfort to those who, these, these baby believers, these young believers, hadn't understood before. You know, what, what great comfort it would have brought these people. That they had no idea what was going to happen. They probably were grieving and mourning like the heathens were for the for the, the the lost believers because they had no idea. But Paul breaks it down for them. He explains it for them and tells them, you have a hope. Jesus is coming back one day. And to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. I'm kind of glad that Jesus didn't tell us or God didn't tell us uh, when Christ will return. We don't know. The encouragement that we, we received last week by Chris Schroeder, it was, I mean, he really hammered it home to us, didn't he? Talking about the gospel, that do we have a heart for the gospel? Are we sharing the gospel? Do we even care about the lost? Because to be honest, I don't really share the gospel as much as I can. I have the answer to Life. I have the answer to to all the questions that people might have. I have the answer to how people can ho- have hope in this life. How people can have peace in this life. And I don't share it. What a shame. That's a shame on my part. And he I mean he the things that he shared our brother Chris Shoulder last week, I mean if you don't if you didn't feel for that, I mean I I was—I felt like I was about to—I <laughs> was about to weep. I just—the—the the conviction that I felt of not having to share the gospel like I should, not having—not living out this life like I should for the Lord Jesus Christ—it should hit home if you're a believer. So Paul clarifies to the brethren in Thessalonica that you don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. We have a hope to look towards as we live out the rest of the allowed time that we are here on this earth. And we should live with the expectation of, at any moment, the Lord is going to come. And I pray for my unsaved relatives, on my dad's side especially. There's so many of them that don't know the Lord. If they, if, as I said in the beginning, if they pass away, their loss for all eternity. Do we have, it was hammered home so hard last week, but do we have a heart to share and live out the gospel? Do we have that heart? Do we? Hopefully, we do. Hopefully, that the message that was shared last week really encouraged us, really motivated us. It's time to not be afraid. It's time not to be scared because when we talk to anyone, it's not, it's not for us. All we simply have to do is share the gospel. All we simply have to do is share to people what the Lord Jesus did in our life. And we can expect greatness in the coming of the Lord with the shout, with the sound, with the voice, and with the trumpet. We can expect greatness. That's, that's our future. And just like when I was a, a child with my, my babysitter, and I was just so excited for when she would come. I didn't know when she was coming. I mean, because li- when you're little, you don't understand time. So sometime in the morning, she's going to get there. Sometime in the afternoon, she's going to leave. But I was always excited. Uh, she, she always did so, you know, that the Korean Mary Poppins, right? It's so much fun. That's how we should be of the Lord Jesus, excited about his coming and living out a life where we're sharing the gospel. May the thought of the coming of the Lord encourage and strengthen our resolve to do more for him, to share the gospel for him. Let me read that one more time. May the thought of the coming of the Lord encourage and strengthen our resolve to do more for him and share the gospel for him. I went a little over this morning, so I'm, I'm giving you back the time this evening, all right. Uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, how exciting to think about the return of the Savior. How exciting it is to think about what the Lord has done for us. That when a believer passes away, there's hope. It's it's not a it's not a, a sad ending. It's it's not something that we need to mourn because when a believer goes home, they're in so much of a better place, in the presence of the Lord, face to face with the Savior. And and that's gonna be for for the for all eternity. Thank you for this revelation in your Word of what's gonna happen, where there is this snatch being caught up, the snatching up of believers. We ask that as we understand these things, as we've received this revelation in your word of the future things to come, we ask that you would encourage us, motivate us to share the gospel, motivate us to love the lost, help us to understand how to love the lost, especially people that are hard to love. Help us to love those that are unlovable because the Lord Jesus had compassion on everyone. God loved everyone and he sent his Son this earth so that so that he could pay the penalty for our sins and we should have that same love because god is love and if we have we've trusted christ we have the holy spirit residing in us help us to live out that love help us to be an encouragement to this community help us to be an encouragement to those around us an example of christ and his character his compassion his desire to seek out those that are lost. We ask that you would give us his heart. In Jesus' name, amen.